0: Well, all right, everybody, we are in our last our last um, chapter of Habakkuk. I hope that you have enjoyed, I don't know if that's quite the word, because it has just really been a convicting book, small little book, minor prophet, but boy, it was power-packed and It had a punch to it, right, in the face sometime. So would you pray with me, please? Father, as we go into this last chapter, Father, how you changed Habakkuk, how you changed his attitude, how you changed his mindset, how he went from complaining and whining and how come and why and how long, and he ends it with a prayer. A prayer of recognizing you for who you are. Sometimes you have to make it that clear in our face. And so for that, we are grateful. You are a great God. You are an awesome God who is so full of love that you're willing to give us books like this. And so, Lord, may we finish this book as we had taken it line by line, verse by verse. Father, may we see ourselves, and may this change us. Your word wants to change us, because it is the truth. It is from you to us. It is really a love letter, 66 books of love, so that we know how to live. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This is my Bible. Oh, I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. All right, as we move into this last chapter, I think my prayer kind of um, did the review. I mean, I think we see how um, Habakkuk was changed and how we need. I don't know how long this whole thing took. I don't know if it was a a whole half a day, a day dealing with this. I don't know how long, but sometimes that's how the Lord works with us. We come to him, and then he has to deal with us, and he sure does in just the way that's necessary to wake us up. And And how beautiful this last chapter is. It's a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigeneth. Shigeneth. Did you know what that word means? I did not know what that word meant. And the way it's said there, um, I... I did a little research, and I found that the only other time that that word is used is in Psalm 7. David used it. And it basically tells us that this is a song. This This is poetry, and it is going to be put to music. It's going to be a song. And both of these, Habakkuk 3 and Psalm 7... Both end in praise and it started with trouble. It's that's isn't that interesting that this these two passages with the word shiganath is that it, it's a song, it's poured from your heart. And it might start with trouble, a troubled heart, a tough circumstance, but it ends up in praise after you've been made aware again of who your God is. Verse 2, Lord, Lord, Habakkuk says, I have heard of your fame. I have heard of your fame. We have talked many times from Daniel From Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles twenty, David's, Daniel's prayer. In Daniel nine, we have seen how it is so good to start a prayer, our prayers, by recognizing who He is, who God is. And Habakkuk does that here. I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. What, why would that be important? Why is that so important that we start our prayers that we can't wait to get to And this is what we want you to do, Lord. This is how we want you to handle this. And, you know, we have a list a mile long of what we want God to do for us. But it's so important that we start out with such awe and worship and acknowledgement. Because... It kind of sets the tone, and it also changes my need to think that he's got to do it my way. It kind of says, oh, yeah, that's right. You are God, and there none other." Oh, that's right. I've learned in these last weeks again that your timing is perfect, and your ways are perfect, even though I might not like them or understand them. But again, because I, I want to be one of the ones that are walking by faith. I have been made right. The just live by faith. The righteous live by faith. I've been made right before God. I stand in awe. If you can change me. We stand in awe. Then all of a sudden, all these other things. It's so much easier, see? The more that you really start knowing him and what he has done for you and how you're watching him change you, the more you see that your faith and and your trust and your surrender and your submission becomes easier and easier because why wouldn't I? Well, Why wouldn't I trust his will in my life when it's perfect, when his plan is in motion? And how he can even take my disobedience and still he can make all things and turn them all out for good. It might hurt. It might not be what I like, but he will make sure that I get back on track. I stand in awe of that God. And then he goes on in in the verse, renew, renew them in our day. Revive, revive. I like that word. King James used the word revive. How often do we say revive us again? Fill each heart with your love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. See, we need every now and because of the pull of the world, because of our human nature, because of the appeasing of our flesh, because sometimes we're not clinging the way we should, we veer off and we need to be revived, revive us again, oh Lord. Renew that right spirit within me. Make it known again to me. And then in wrath, remember mercy. Remember, we always talk about the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, that undeserved favor. We we do not deserve it, but instead he gives us his love and his forgiveness and hope and a future. But mercy is very important to know that mercy is... Not getting what we do deserve. And this is what he's saying. We deserve God's wrath. And we've talked about the wrath when we've done Daniel. And and we're going to talk about the wrath again when we continue in Revelation. The wrath of God is something you do not, you and I do not want to see, experience, or be a part of in any way. And that's why in wrath, remember mercy. Not getting what we do deserve. Bring back what we once had. You know, a lot of times we just have to be brought back. I always say we've got to be brought back to the cross. I know we need the cross for our salvation in that time that we go humbly before the cross. And and we, we realize we are such sinners. And the only thing that can remedy that is the blood of Christ. And he drenches us, lavishes us with his blood and cleanses us. And our sins have been bought and paid for. I know that. I understand that salvation. But I still say it. Because I'm still in this world. I'm still a part of this body that just loves to, that self just loves to consume. I can fall into that trap. I need to be revived, I need to be renewed. I need to be brought back, and where is the best place to go for that is go back to the cross because then you see what he did for you, what he did for me. God came from Teman the Holy One from Mount Paran. That too was not a familiar familiar words to me. And so I checked and oh I, I you know the more you study them the more you want to know i found verses you know in the old testament in exodus and in exodus chapter 19 i mean it it just shows that, that god came from Teman, the holy one from mount paran that symbolizes those two places symbolize Mount Sinai. they symbolize Mount Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? His glory covered the heavens. Oh, and I just want to say too that Sila when you see the word Sila like in Psalms, you see that word. If you see the word "sila," remember how we said last week we talked about that—that that it was um, a song. That that Habakkuk in these chapters are kind of like a are like poetry um, and put into song. And how this particular chapter today is very much so a song. Psalm 7, Psalm, and Habakkuk 3, they're they're, um, songs. And so right whenever you see a Selah, you, you have to pause. Because it's like it's a pause in a song. Like, stop a minute and think about this. Don't go on until you have grasped this. See, doesn't that make sense? So when he said, verse 3, God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. It would have been so easy. Well, I, I don't know. I'm just going to go on. I don't really know what those words mean, but, you know. And, then, and right there you see a sila in this song. Like, stop. Stop and think about this. And so when I searched it, I found out that it had to do with Mount Sinai. When God met with Moses and gave him the law, And it makes perfect sense because let me just read to you in Exodus chapter 19, starting with verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder than Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Now, doesn't that make sense? I mean, well, and then I looked in chapter twenty too, also in chapter twenty, because after Moses was given the Ten Commandments in chapter twenty of chapter 20, chapter twenty verse twenty of Exodus, Moses said to the people, "Do not be afraid." I mean, because when they saw, you know, and heard the thunder and lightning and the smoke and, and they trembled with fear and Moses comes back and says, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. See, a good, healthy dose of fear of God will keep you from sinning. I know this is maybe a little silly, but I, it came to my mind, and I try to relate things. When I was a little girl, and I sang on Children's Bible Hour, and we moved from one building to another. We were in this small little, little building, and we were so crowded in there. And then while I was, the, during the 10 years that I was on the program, then we moved to this beautiful new building just down the street. Oh, we were so excited we had room and then and then there was a big portrait of the director they put her picture in that in the foyer in the beautiful foyer and so every time you walked into that foyer you would see her picture and oh she was such a great lady she really was i mean she was hard on us kids but but it was again out of love and she wanted to make sure we we lived right, you know, not just sing right, but that we lived right because we were a testimony of the one we sang about. And it was just as a little girl, I remembered that I could walk anywhere in that place. I could walk anywhere. I could stand right next to it. And she was looking at You know, I was still so young that I didn't understand this verse that we just read in Exodus 20, verse 20. I just knew that no matter where I went, and then even when I got into middle school, and I was invited to parties, and then when I got into high school, and I was invited to this or that, I am am not kidding you. I could sense those eyes on me. And to me, that represented God. And as I got older, I started realizing that that's God with his eyes on me. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, even though I might fool everybody, I don't fool him. He sees me wherever I am. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows my attitude. And so when I read this verse, I thought, There's, that's okay. Do you know that's okay? To have a good, healthy fear of God because it will keep you from sinning. That's his intent. So. So. After we see these two places, Teman and Mount Paran, and then read the words, his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunshine. I'm so glad there was a Sela there because I probably wouldn't have stopped and recognized that, boy, does this make sense. What happened on Mount Sinai, God's word, his law, his word is still relevant today. And he expects obedience. He expects a healthy fear. He expects that we know that there'll be consequences if we disobey. And as his glory was all around in Exodus 20... We know, too, that his glory permeates. If we are willing to see, we can see his glory. It covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunshine. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Two words here. Two words that I think are very important that we are, and then this I think will really help renew us, revive us, show us that, that we need him so badly is that he is a God of glory and he is a God of power. And just as Exodus 20, he is just as powerful, and his glory is still as glory should be, even from back then. Our God is holy, he is glorious. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Christian in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. When I was reading that, all of a sudden I thought, wow, has Habakkuk ever changed? Has he ever changed from, from his complaining and his, even his doubt? Because basically it was doubt. How come you're not doing anything? To all of a sudden, he is talking about God's glory, his power, his splendor. And he's, he's kind of going over his mind. He's, he's kind of, I think he's going back to how God dealt with the Israelites In Egypt, with the plagues, with the Red Sea opening up so that they could all walk through. I think that's good, too. I think that's good, too, that we all need a healthy dose of fear of God. But then to look back and say, look what he did. Look around and see his glory in this creation. Look around and see the power that by his mere words and look how he loves us. Look how he loved me. Look how he got me through that. Look how he was there all the time. Look how he is making sure that in as, as long as I seek him, I will find him. As long as I desire to want to know him better, he'll see to it that I will. Even though sometimes I'm convicted and I'm challenged and I feel guilty and I have to come back to the cross, even though... Sometimes that doesn't feel so good, but that revives me, that renews me. I think this is this is why Habakkuk is changed. And this should be why you and I can be changed, why it can take our, our dull, down, defeated, depressed, discouraged, doubt. He can take all those words and lift us back up to the reality, being renewed to who he is again. How we learned in Daniel that God has repeatedly told us, it looks like evil is winning, but I'm in the middle of it all. What he said to Habakkuk, I'm raising up. I know what I'm doing. We see his power. We see his glory. Look how Habakkuk remembers. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mounds crumbled. The age-old hills collapsed. See, nothing. He used things that are so powerful, like mounds and and age-old hills and things that... No, you know what? Our God is even bigger than that. He can override anything. Why don't we have a healthy dose of fear? Why don't we recognize his glory and his power? Why do we crumble? Why do we think that he doesn't know or that he doesn't care? Why don't we know that he's got a reason And it's because he loves us and wants us so badly to know the fullness of who he is. And to live every day abundantly because he gets up with us and he walks with us every step. Even though we don't know what the day will bring. Look at verse 8. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered the bow, you called for many arrows. Oh, Selah, we've got to stop a minute. We've got to take a look at, we've got to take a look from, from the first Selah. In the first part of verse three, now, okay, now as he talks about his glory and his power and his ability to be over all, in all, and through all, I think these verses. I think from verses three to to fifteen, I think you this is this is Habakkuk realizing the power of God on behalf of his people what he is able to do for his people. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by and deep roared. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Doesn't that sound like power? Power? Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows and the lightning of your flashing spear. Oh, you are going to understand this when we go into Revelation. It's just amazing to me. I get so excited because I think how how Habakkuk is saying these. He's writing this beautiful poetry, this beautiful song to make sure that we all see and recognize the glory and the power of our God and what he is able to do. But when you watch in Revelation, when you hear about the seven seals, when they're open, when the seven trumpets sound, when the seven bowls of wrath are administered, How we need, like Habakkuk, like the revelation, we need to understand and get at least a glimpse of his glory and power. In wrath, verse 12, in wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You know, you can't help but think about Jesus on the cross there, can you? I mean, I mean how? I mean, it just it definitely looked like evil one. There was your classic example too of oh, it looked like evil one. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, and everybody had such high hopes, how the Jews, how God's people thought that this was going to be the one who would save them from Rome, the Romans. They had no idea, did they? They they closed off the truth they they just wanted the now they wanted to feel f- happy and comfortable and an easier life now that is so typical of human nature and you don't study they they closed off they didn't want to know that the messiah was saving them from something far worse than rome that he saved them from their sins who Rightly so, what has sent them to hell. But instead, because of his blood, they have a hope to dwell with him forever. How God, the father, was willing to let his son do that. But then, you know, yeah, for three days it looked like, then I'm sure Satan just was thrilled everybody's afraid they're hiding themselves away they're oh they're doomed and then on that third day oh how god saved the anointed one and how by coming out of that grave gave you and i life life that we didn't deserve life that starts on the second of our conversion On the second of our salvation, we begin this life. Life that will never end. Yes, this body will go back to the earth, but our life in Christ will never end. Remember when when Daniel was interpreting those dreams and how it it was so great when he got to that part about... But there will be a kingdom that will rise up that will never end. And that is our that is our hope. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, you stripped him from head to foot. I think in this prayer, Habakkuk is saying, Last week, when we talked about the five woes, all of a sudden I realized that as bad as it looks like when an empire takes over, we have a God that's greater, that will triumph every time. And when I said that, I meant it when I said When are we going to know that justice will reign? It will come back to bite them. They will experience the ultimate consequence of rejecting the Savior. You talk about crushing the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. That's any leader who thinks that they're God. Any earthly kingdom that thinks that they are the most powerful. When his own spear you pierced his head, with his own spear you pierced his head, when his warriors stormed out to scatter, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. Now, Habakkuk, of course, he's thinking about when God promised him that, believe me, I'll take care of Babylon they'll pay for what they did and so he is thinking that yes you know they they will go down but we can look at it in such a a bigger picture a, a for a more forever picture that because of what god has done through his son we will we will live and you trampled the sea with your horses churning the gray waters i mean you when you see the glory and the power of god and how when you when you study revelation we know you talk about watching the glory and power of god in that book this is what habakkuk is experiencing but remember how how God said, now, write this down. Make it plain. Don't make it complicated. Write it on tablets because I want it to last for generations so that everybody can know and understand my way of working. That they can get to know me. Verse 16, after Habakkuk was just, I think, as he was going over chapter 2 in his mind, I think he just broke out into this prayer. And look at verse 16. I heard my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. I think this is the proper way, this is the proper response when you start really understanding the power and the glory of God. I heard my heart pound. My lips quivered, decay crept into my bones, my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I mean, he knew that that didn't happen yet. He now says, okay, I mean, I'm not I'm not really relishing how this is all going to come down, but I believe it, and I know that their demise will happen. I know they will go down. I believe that. And the same thing with us. As we understand the glory and the power of God, we know that our future is so Intact, we might not understand how it's all going to transpire, but as his people, he's got us. And nothing can separate us from him. But we should still be in awe. Our hearts should be bound and our lips quivering as we study and know what's going to happen. We, like Habakkuk says, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity because it will not be pretty. Yet I will wait patiently because I know how it's going to end. Now listen to verse 17 all the way to the end of the chapter. And I'm here to tell you, this is magnificent poetry. I am not that attuned, maybe as some poets or my English classes in school, but I did recognize this. Look how descriptive. Look how it grabs you. Look how it informs you through illustrations. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, And no cattle in the stalls. I mean, could he have painted any bleaker of a picture? Life is not going to be easy. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, there's no grapes on the vines, there's no olive trees... They can't produce in the fields. There's no food. So there's no food. There's no sheep in the pen. There's no cattle in the stalls. It looks hopeless, right? Haven't you ever felt that? It looks hopeless. And look, because of what Habakkuk has been through, how he let the Lord work with him in that white space between chapters one and two, because he allowed himself to, well, like us, we go back to the cross you go back to the beginning you remember who he is and what he's done if you allow yourself if you, if you desire that even though all looks hopeless we have nothing it looks like there is just there's no food there's no animals there's just so just try to think of the worst that can happen What's the worst that can happen to you? Think about how you might have said, oh, if that happened to me, I could never live through that. I could never make it. Think of the worst thing that could have happened to you. And that is in verses 16 and 17. And then I want you to take the worst thing that you think can happen to you. And then I want you to say out loud, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. I have God. I will rejoice in the fact that I have God. Rejoice means I find joy in the fact that no one or nothing can take him away. It doesn't mean I'm happy about what's going on, but my joy is complete in the Lord Jesus. And I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He's greater than any problem. He is hope when all looks hopeless. And then look how Habakkuk ends. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Can you just turn back to Habakkuk chapter 1, starting with verse 2? How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Look at that. Verses. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Why would you and I want feet like a deer? For somehow in this beautiful poetry put to song, This beautiful picture of a deer prancing up a mountainside and they've got the ability to soar to the heights because of their feet. Their feet are grounded. Their feet have been made to withstand and to be able to achieve. The Lord, he's sovereign. He's over all. He's in all. He's through all. That's what Lord means. Sovereign means he's God and I'm not. And he's the one. Like Daniel. Remember when Daniel said, I don't have any more strength. I can't even breathe. And the Lord touched him and said, do not be afraid. And as the Lord breathed into us life. As the Lord breathes life into us, every now and then when we come to the end of ourselves, we watch the Lord continue to stay breathing in us. He breathes truth in us. He breathes into us what we need to get through. That's what changed Quebec. Now, all of a sudden, his eyes, he turned and he looked at the sovereign Lord and realized that the Lord gives us strength as he continues to breathe his life in us. He will renew our strength. And he makes my feet. Remember that song and I, that's why I think this is like a, this is a song and I can see why it is because I'm reminded as the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs for you, O oh Lord. And we know that the deer, there's a certain kind of deer that have the capacity because their feet have been made to be able to go up the straightest and the rockiest to attain the heights. If that's not picturesque of our spiritual walk with him. Do we have feet like that deer? Are we grounded in the, it's like the Ephesians 6 when Paul talks about the full armor of God. Your feet firmly planted in the gospel. When your feet are firmly planted in the gospel, you can attain heights. Heights that you would have never thought possible. You can live victorious. You can understand your future. And you can know that he has given us a life worth living. We need these kind of feet to be able to journey forward and upward. Getting closer and closer to Him, trusting and believing in Him more and more. And when that happens, we can make that big of change that the Lord can really take away the old and create a new. Not just make better the old, but no, He replaces the old with new life. And what a life it is. Thank you, Habakkuk. Thank you for writing it plainly and clearly on tablets so that we can learn and now we can know and just have a glimpse, a little bigger glimpse of the power and the glory of our God and how much he loves his people. Heavenly Father, this truly has been a great study. And we give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.